Modern Animism Radio. I'm your host, Laura Giles, and I'm joined today by Sherry Calvert and Craig Richardson. Whether you've been around for a while or you're new to the program, thanks for being here. We really do appreciate you tuning in. And today we're going to be talking about wildcrafting. There's a growing interest in foraging for foods and medicine, so we're going to share what we know and think, and hopefully that'll spark some ideas in you to help you on your journey. So let's start by giving thanks. I acknowledge and thank the element of earth for giving us food, home, stability, a strong foundation, a sense of belonging, and a community that sustains me. I acknowledge and thank the element of air for helping me to be inspired by all the wonders of nature all around me every day, and hopefully for staying in touch with our inner child so that we can always see the world anew. I acknowledge and thank the element of fire for giving us the power to create change within ourselves and the outer world and a sense of responsibility to keep things balanced. I acknowledge the element of water and thank you for reminding us to go with the flow instead of pushing against it. I thank you for taking us to dark places to see what's hidden so that we keep growing. I acknowledge and thank our loving, helping ancestors from the human, plant, animal, and mineral kingdoms and I thank you for all the help that we receive that's seen and unseen. And ask for your continued support so that we can continue to be of service to all. Big thanks to our listeners and supporters for tuning in as well. Thank you for your comments and questions. We do pay attention to that and use some of your um, suggestions for topics for of discussion in our Facebook group, and you're welcome to join in for that if you like, and for our YouTube videos and podcast topics. And if you'd like to support with a donation, you can do that at buymeacoffee.com backslash pan society. All right. Hey, guys. Hey, Sherry and Craig. Craig. Thanks. <laughs> Craig. No problem. Good morning. <laughs> thanks for coming on. How are you guys today? Doing very well. Great. Thank you for that beautiful invocation. Oh, sure. Sure, sure. So, wildcrafting, is that, um, are you guys doing that now? Yes. Um, various things throughout the year, but now is, is sort of the, the, uh, the peak, the heyday of, of a lot of species that I, that are favorites of mine. So yes, it's a, it's a busy time right now. Uh-huh. What about you, Sherry? Definitely. Um, I'm very fortunate to live in an area where there's lots of um, stuff to wildcraft right now. Lots of berries coming out, lots of, we're at the end of our mushrooms, but it's about to rain next week. So I'm going to, I'm going to be back out there after the rains to see if I can find anything. But yeah, most definitely. Um, Cause I know we're about to hit a dearth in probably a week or so. So yeah, definitely got to get out there and get the good stuff. You guys got different weather and climate than, than I do because I don't have a lot going on where, I mean, there is definitely more than like a few months ago, but uh, it's real sparse out here. I've uh, been in the mountains of North Carolina recently, and uh, this is reishi season, a particular species of reishi, Ganoderma suge, that grows on hemlocks. And there's been a lot of hemlock die off in the mountains. Oh. Um, but fortunately, you know, one of the, one of the benefits of, of that is an explosion of reishi. Right. So it's, yeah. it's all over the place right now. Yeah. I had a big fat pile of um, wine caps a couple months mm. ago, um, but I haven't had any other like explosion of mushrooms. You know, you see one here, you see one there, but definitely not enough that I would even consider harvesting anything. Mm-hmm. Mm. I love that because then that's like respectful, not taking everything you're leaving. Hopefully, yeah. so not to keep going and producing more. If, if exactly, 
Otherwise. And berry, se berry season is coming, so. <laughs> yeah, I do see signs of that. I just haven't seen, I think my birds are just really, you know, hungry. Mm. By the time I mm. see them, they're just like, there's just one or two or three are left, you know. Yeah, we have the same thing with the berries. Like, I see our grapes are coming in, but um, we have lots of wild blueberries around, which is amazing. But, and that's my sign, right, is watching the birds. Because if I know the birds yeah. are hanging I know I've got to be mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah and that's part of it too you do have to know like what's in season when and how to tell you know oh it's now a good time because if you just try to be random about it you're probably not going to be all that lucky <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why I like paying attention to the weather too like I really think about because you don't get mushrooms unless it's nice and moist and yeah um, when all that happens so definitely I always watch the weather and I try to plan for if I can you know have my bag and stuff ready so that I can go traipse around the woods and, and get dirty and look for things um so yeah it's being flexible and, and knowing the seasons for sure because you you can't if you're you're gonna go hungry if that's what you're depending on right. if you're yeah the mushrooms are tough too because they're there one day and then gone the next very true and some species you know if you if you wait a day for it to grow a little more it'll be gone so right <laughs> yeah or they'll be too tough or you right know. yeah like with wine caps you got to get them while they're little mm -hmm. if you wait until they're like big and obvious then you, I, I don't want to eat that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so craig what are you doing with the reishis that you're harvesting uh i make a double extraction with it um, a two-stage extraction with first stage alcohol and second stage a, a decoction a, a water decoction and then you mix the two that the water and the alcohol draw out different uh, con components. And it's a very powerful medicine um, for it's antiviral, anti antibacterial. It's, it's, there's some really interesting studies on, on how it fights cancer. And of course it's been used in Chinese medicine for, for centuries. So it's an amazing, amazing ally to have on hand. For sure. For sure. Yeah. It's one of my favorites too, but it, yeah, good luck with that here. <laughs> Oh, finding reishi there? Yeah, yeah. You got to go somewhere else. I think maybe they like more inland than, than what I am. Mm -hmm. I know here, um, and, and I don't, and I noticed it here. I don't know if it's like this in other places, um, and maybe I wasn't as interested in it at the time, so I never noticed, but we have a lot of foraging groups here, um, uh -huh. and... I enjoy it because they're very open and into letting you tag along and they'll teach you how to identify certain things, certain mushrooms, what's edible, what's not, what has um, a lookalike that may kill you or hurt you. Um, but because they do take lots of groups out there, yeah. uh, sometimes it, it, it's really hard to be responsible, especially when you're teaching someone new who doesn't understand that there is a finite yeah. amount of mm. area. A big one here besides mushrooms is ginseng. Like we can have a ton of wild ginseng, but because now, you know, it's a money thing, like you can right. sell a lot of it. And so there does, you know, there's a tendency to over harvest ginseng and then we don't have as many here. So finding that responsibility and that balance of, you know, sharing and, and having the large groups and everybody wants to, to live off the land, which is fantastic but then finding that balance of giving the land a breath so that it can provide more for you. Yeah. There definitely is a balance there. I've, and that's, to me, it has to be a, a meditative process. It's not just to, you know, not just there to, to consume the product, but to, to actually connect with the, uh, the species that you're, that you're working with. So, and you're right. There are some areas in North Carolina where 
ramps, you know, wild leeks have been badly over harvested. And so uh, there are really intentional efforts to try to teach people how to harvest uh, sustainably, but, but you're right there, you know, that's, um, that's a, sometimes an uphill battle. Right. I think uh, a long time ago, Sherry did a video about asking plants. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it, let's say you're brand new and you don't have any idea what you're doing. You can always ask the plant. <laughs> of course. I remember going out with a friend um, and she was showing me one of her spots and there was tons of yellow, do uh, yellow root everywhere. And I was like, this is amazing. And then I was like, she was like, are you going to take some? I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> like, so I sat there and I was like meditating about it and going around. I was like, do you want to come home with me? Do you want to come home with me? Like, you know, and it, it, there is a feeling for me anyway. I don't know. Everybody else's process is different. But yeah, you know, some of them said, hey, I'm ready to go. You can dig me up. Because I, I wasn't going to harvest them to use them at that moment. I wanted to replant them here to see if I can cultivate it in my yard a little bit. So yeah, sitting there and asking the plants, because there are some that were just like, nope, stay away from me. I'm happy where I'm <laughs> And I, I, that's good faith, right? Like if you take something that's not ready, it's not going to be good medicine. It's, it's not Agreed. Medicine. Agreed. There's, I think it's definitely a, a relationship there. And you're right. Some, uh, it is amazing how you can just get a sense that some, some plants and fungi just, just really want to be used. <laughs> like yeah. in the case with the, with the ratio I've been harvesting lately. I probably only I probably only harvested you know maybe a fifth of what I found um, because of that that individual you know looking at a particular uh, example and had it dropped its spores yet and does it seem ready to, right. to be used and so there's there's definitely yeah. that conversation that needs to take place. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think too. So for me, you know, I, I think my issue is my land is not very fertile. Hmm. Um, I know that's my issue. So there there's not a lot right around. Um, where I live and I live in the woods and so I cultivate herbs so if I know that this is what I need and this is what I'm going to use then I don't just I mean I think wild is great and I'm trying to um, uh, make the land more fertile so that it could support more things I'm definitely doing that but until then I, I plant what I need so that I don't have to rely on that I mean it still ask the plant and all of that but I'm not waiting for some you know to come across it so that i can have it mm -hmm. I think, I, i'm sorry craig go ahead go, go, i was just gonna say I, I totally agree i think that there you know there there can be a balance between uh, a horticultural approach versus a, a wild harvest type approach and there can be a balance and they can work together i've done a lot of work in, in an area of woods that i have that was just almost taken over by Chinese privet, which is a, a really invasive plant in my area. Um, and as I've removed some of that, which uh, really didn't, it didn't even seem to be healthy. It wasn't healthy. So as I removed that, it's amazing how other species that are native here have rushed in. Yeah. There's been, you know, yeah. stinging nettle and Joe pie weed and bog hemp and all kinds of things have rushed into, to this formerly, um, you know, a place that was formerly their home. And I, you just see that, that willingness to, to join in the work that you're doing to try to help make their, uh, their environment more healthy. Yeah, I, I do the same thing. Um, uh, Craig, I think we kind of have the same biomes or zoning. Seems like, yeah. The same plants. Cause we have tons of privet out here that I'm slowly working back cause talking to them and, and letting them know that, you know, mm -hmm. but also the bees use privet in the earth spring and um, they do smell beautiful when the blooms come out <laughs> they do, they do. Um, and also we have the 
I don't know where it's called anywhere else, but it's the mimosa tree. It's the one yes. that is really fluffy. And they, to me, they smell like peaches. They're very sweet. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And hummingbirds like them, but they're yeah. totally invasive. Like they'll, they'll right. take over your yard really quickly. But as you, we started working some back, definitely like all these amazing things started coming up. And um, so that's one of those things that we're working with. But I do plug in because um, we have woods that align that are around our house. And um, so I start plugging in ginseng, golden seal, things like that. Um, I'm not going to be harvesting them for years, but at least I'm trying to set the motion that, mm-hmm. that you know, the area is welcome for them and hopefully you know i'll have something harvestable in a year or two already yeah i think i think it, the plants kind of like no and maybe i'm projecting <laughs> but um a couple years ago i had like one little thistle plant which most people consider a weed i've been to scotland i got some scottish in my background i like thistle when i saw it i was like oh my god I just you know <laughs> And let it go to seed and then I kind of helped it sprinkle because I wanted more of it and now it's like growing everywhere and I'm just really really loving it so I think if you love them then they will come back and my my place is kind of wild it's we don't mow very often to allow things to grow like that and it could because if we mowed then you would never see it you know <laughs> and so we got all kinds of stuff that I know people are like oh my god look at your yard but I, I'm like, oh my God, look at the yard, you know? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I see a, a very, a very rich, you know, biodiverse uh, environment <laughs> and the neighbor sees weeds. So you're right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I see food for everything. I see medicine for everything. Yeah, mine's the same way because we have the bees, we have the chickens. And um, it was kind of funny because I went to a friend's house because they wanted me to check out their flowers and and they are and i'm not knocking them but they're the type of people that have a landscaper come over change the flowers out seasonally mm. and um it breaks my heart but it, they don't see where i'm coming from from it like you know just throwing away plants so easily but in there it, we had, it just rained or something and um they had some chickweed in their garden bed and some um what else was the other one purple dead nettles mm. and I felt bad because I was paying more attention to those than the flowers <laughs> that I was supposed to be looking at. And they're like, well, no, those are some kinds of weeds. And I was like, well, no, they're, they're edible. And, and they have these things and they're like, and I think they were kind of offended, but you know, I was just like, everything has a purpose and a place and whatever. He's like, well, you could take them with you if you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's definitely a mind, a mind uh, set shift that has to take place to see plants as you know as you just said is everything having its own purpose and own place in the in the uh, in the circle well the other thing is, is if you have um fowl like i know sherry you and i do so we don't mow that much but we don't have to either because all the animals just eat this stuff you know the bunnies the chickens the whatever and the only reason why i know this is because we have places that are fenced off that i don't want them to eat like you know that thistle pile i want that thistle mm-hmm. pile to be there and and so it's fenced off so nobody gets into it and then that's those are the patches where you get all these other interesting things growing up and you're like oh what is this oh what is that you know and and you'd never see it because the bunnies would just ravage it mm-hmm. that's true yeah it's amazing what what you do see Serena. i've seen elderberry and all kinds of things spring up just in the middle of my yard when i when i let it go yeah, that's so cool <laughs> Oh, that's like my favorite too, right? <laughs> like uh, everywhere. 
like I see huge clumps of it in, in areas you can't really harvest from because they're like right on the side of the road. But, exactly. Uh, but it's, it's just amazing seeing it all out there. But I like that idea of, it's kind of funny, like, um, so there's two ways that like wild crafting affect me, or not that they affect me, but when I'm going out and I have that intention of I need something, so I'm trying to like manifest it. And it's amazing to see it actually be there, like, especially mm -hmm. when I know I was out there a week before and it wasn't. So, you know, having that need for it and, and knowing that the earth is going to provide and it will be there, I just have to look for it. Mm -hmm. And then also um, paying attention to if uh, paying attention to maybe not necessarily seeing what you need, but then when you see something so many times, like the um, synchronicity of it, like if you see so many, like say you go out there and you see so much golden seal, you got to sit there and think, oh, well, maybe, maybe something, maybe I need to, you know, maybe I need to look at right. something. Maybe there's going to be a need for this right now. Because um, like they tell you, I think there's an old farmer's tale of, um, how many dandelions come up or something like if you need so many dandelions to see something's going to happen with the season and you need to be prepared like colds lots of colds are coming or something i can't remember what it was mm. but i believe in that like i think nature has a way of predicting and then providing all that stuff because before this year happened <laughs> and uh before all the viruses and stuff for some reason i had like a 60 pound glut of elderberries last year. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. It was insane because I had just planted those plants like two years before. And then, the, you know, all of a sudden they exploded. And, I, and it was one of those where I was debating, get, take, you know, harvesting the flower, the elderflower, which is medicinal mm -hmm. on its own, or just waiting until the berries came. And I was like, you know right. what, I'm just going to take the berries. And then I had like 60 pounds of berries. And I'm like, what, what do you do with 60 pounds of elderberry? <laughs> and then now <laughs> I ate the it, I really, I totally agree. I, I can't tell you how many times that there's been a need either in my own life or in someone I knew uh, that was addressed by, you know, something that I encountered, someone, some plant, some fungus that I encountered in the woods that day. So uh, I, I agree. I think there is definitely a relational aspect to that. So what do you think about, this isn't necessarily wildcrafting, but plant medicine as spirit medicine? I think it, I think it all goes hand in hand personally. I think it's all part of the, the relational aspect of, of, you know, developing that connection to the plant. I think they have so much uh, that they want to be um, giving and they want they want to receive from us. So I think that's just part of the package. Mm -hmm. I think they have, well, we know that they have been a part of every human culture virtually on earth uh, as far as, you know, ritual use as, as well as medicine and food. So I think uh, that's absolutely a very valid and important aspect. Do you think that um, that you are limited by what grows in your habitat? Depends on who you ask on that, right? Well, I'm asking <laughs> I you. <laughs> I, I personally do try to focus on what grows in my area because I, that's what I can have a relationship with. That's you know those are the those are the species that I can you know really spend time with. And there are some things that I culturally and, and ancestrally don't feel the freedom to use. And, you know, that's just my personal choice. Things like, uh, you know, Palo Santo or, or white sage, I don't, I don't use because those have such a significant um, connection to other cultures that I don't belong to. So I, I try to focus on um, species that I have in my area and that I have an ancestral connection to, like in particular, mullen and mugwort are a big part of, of what I use. Um, mullen has a lot to teach me uh, well, for example, mullen isn't a native to, to North America. It's from Europe and, and Eurasia, um, was brought here, and it has a lot of 
touch points with me. Mullen is, is one of those plants that rushes into a disturbed area and just sort of stands there until other species can come in and it's, it's a, it's a placeholder. Um, and so I kind of see a connection to Mullen in my ancestry, especially right now during this, this time that we're in, you know, I'm, I, my ancestors aren't native to this continent either. Um, maybe I'm just called to be a placeholder and to hold space for others right now and to, and to listen and to offer healing, which is what Mullen does. So uh, those are the kinds of plants I, I try to connect with. Mm -hmm. I think I, that, that speaks to the whole relational thing. You know, I, everybody can resonate with something different and teachers are everywhere. Yes. And if you're not paying attention, you're going to just miss out on that. I mean, one of the things that I'm always saying is nature is the greatest teacher, but if you're, if you're unaware of the relationship, if you're unaware of the properties and, and don't care to learn and things like that, then you're just going to miss the message. And more and more, so I was born in, in animism and I just thought, you know, well, it's just instinctive to shut up and listen. And more and more I'm realizing that there is a component of being taught because if you didn't get it, then how are you going to get it? It might belong to everybody and it might be everywhere, but if you can't see it, feel it, taste it, touch it, smell it, then you might need some instruction with that. Yes. So you're yes. talking about, you know, how I would like to draw you because you're sitting here, you know, <laughs> how, can you talk more about um, how you connect with that plant, how you know that it's part of your ancestry, how you um, decided that that's a, that's a teacher for you? Um, I, I know, I don't know a lot about my own personal ancestry. I just, I know that in general, um, most of my ancestors are from the British Isles and Western Europe. So I know that the plants that were important to the Celtic and, and Germanic cultures, um, I feel a, a sort of permission to the, the deeper I've gotten connected to ancestor, the more I've gotten connected to, uh, the plants and the, and the fungi that they used. Um, and, you know, knowing what plants come from what, areas originally and and how they were used especially uh as i, as I mentioned mullen and mugwort is are big ones that i use um and just knowing that if my ancestors use them and that they were taught by them and that they had a relationship with them if i have a relationship with ancestors then maybe i should also develop uh mm -hmm. the relationship with with who they knew mm -hmm. no i love that because it makes it like especially if you're focusing in in your surroundings right your land mm -hmm. or around your house and whatever I, th I think that's more powerful. Like you have, you're building that relationship with your, with the spirits of your land, with the energies mm -hmm. of your land, all the plants around the trees, the water, whatever's there. And I, I think it makes it more like way more special. Like it's, it's more powerful um, when you're pulling from those things instead of trying to like order from places. And, and right. And so you, it's, uh, that really speaks to me. Like it's hitting my heart. <laughs> as, as I mentioned, as I've tried to, clear space for native species here on, on my land. Um, you know, I do feel permission to work with those species as well, because it's almost as if they, they came here to join me, came here to be a part of, of what's going on here. And, and uh, uh, again, we're talking about encountering species that, that maybe have something to say or something to offer to us at the moment. Uh, I've done that so many times just on my little plot of land here. Um, things that I didn't expect to be here. Uh, Reishi grows mostly in the mountains, uh, but there is a, a species that grows here in the central part of the state where I live that has popped up a few times when I, when I thought I might need it and lion's mane and turkey tail and other, other mushrooms that, you know, I, 
didn't expect to find, but but found in abundance here. Hmm. Yeah, I think um, I think the the ancestral connection is super, super, super important. But at the same time, we're evolving and we're mobile and we move. And it, you know, if you're somewhere else, then you work with what's there. True. That's you know, part of evolution. That's true. And I think uh, if I lived in an area um, where there were plants that weren't ancestrally that I didn't have a connection to, um, I would I would work with the people who do have an ancestral connection on that land. You know, if I was on uh, in the West, I would work with with uh, the Native Americans in whatever area I lived in um, to get you know to get their permission to get their welcome into that into that relationship. And to uh, to to learn from them. So that's uh, here where I live. Unfortunately, that that tie has has been broken uh, in many ways. So um, I, I try to work with what I feel I have an ancestral connection to, and what I find and encounter on this land. But you're right. We are, as a human species, we're we're moving. We've always moved and always changed and always uh, encountered new things as we went. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, the key is to to have that deep root mm -hmm. and then because I'm a gypsy at heart <laughs> and I go everywhere mm -hmm. um, and so I may make some shallow roots too but I always want to keep that deep root to my ancestors. Right mm -hmm. that's a good analogy. So we talked about wild crafting plants what about animals along the way like are we paying attention to the animals? Mm -hmm. Yes, um, I think that's important too. Uh, one sad story that happened recently: uh, there was a just literally a hundred yards from the front of my house, a bobcat was run over by a car. I didn't realize we had bobcats in this area uh, until I started doing some research and, and looking more, and I found out there are actually quite a few mm -hmm. because there's a very large wetlands area near me um, that uh, is apparently has quite a few in them. So you're right; the more um, it was sad that I had to have my eyes opened uh, with that, you know, with, with one being hit by a car, but um, it did cause me to be more open and to, to look more and to learn more because there are species that you may never see, but they're yeah. here. And, uh, and I learned, need to, to welcome them and to try to develop whatever relationship I can with them as well. Yeah. I pick up feathers. Yeah. <laughs> I have the, all the intention of using them in some sort of ritual garb. I haven't actually done it yet, but I have a like a crazy collection of feathers. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it's, um, well, there's, you know, the animals I don't see. We have found bear scat, which terrifies mm. me, but I'm also <laughs> excited. <laughs> but I have yet to actually see the bear. <laughs> so, um, you know, I like the idea that I know he's out there doing, he or she is out there doing whatever it is. But, um, also I have the, um, and I love it and I'm waiting, like I'm waiting for her to come back by, but we have like a wild turkey. Mm. She always brings her mama or, or she brings her babies to the yard. Um, cause she's on this track, Like she has the same path that she does every year that she goes by. And, um, it's a food path. Like I, you know, she yeah. is following this mm -hmm. thing. So she's showing me like where she goes, she's showing her baby. She's teaching her babies where to find food and where to get food. And same wow. thing using the rabbits they go through so um the deer especially help me find things like ginseng and all that because they, that's how they spread the seeds and and so 
paying attention and just being quiet and listening and watching them do their thing um, helps me find food and medicine as well. And Mm -hmm. knowing not to take, not to disturb their stuff too much or they won't be there anymore too. Cause I know if you take too much, the animals will just go away. Right. That's, that's wonderful. You're right. It's um, they, we can learn from them um, just by watching, just by seeing where they go and what they do and, and, and how they, how they seek out whatever they're looking for. So. <laughs> and I think it helps to stay in tune with the season too, because a lot of animals are foragers and, you know, they have to, move when the plants move so if you see them then you know oh this is this is happening now or that's happening mm-hmm. now oh when that like the one the native american moon names you know mm-hmm. if you see this animal then you know it's this time of year versus the way that we do it like a, oh it's this date so therefore we got to do this it's a mm-hmm. totally different way of thinking about nature really mm-hmm. i mean they're going to be like a couple of weeks probably you know the the calendar with the date and the seasonal calendar, probably going to be a couple of weeks from each other, but it is different. Mm-hmm. It is a different, a different type of time structure. You're right. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's a way of, of, of measuring time by your relationship with, with who you see and who you encounter. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so brutally, and this is an off story, so kind of trigger warning, um, seasonally paying attention to the animals, uh, amazingly we don't get bothered by so we do i've seen a bobcat i've seen we have foxes um we actually don't get bothered by the fox too much our chickens are free ranging out in the yard um i can't keep them i I don't want to keep them cooped up because they you know they do a great thing around here Mm -hmm. um but if the fox comes out actually and takes a chicken or two i know she's got babies right and so, and I have respect for that because she, honestly, she's actually never really taken more than they've needed. And so we kind of plan for that, mm-hmm. but, um, I've never been, you know, touch wood. I've never been wiped out as far as, you know, so I think there is a symbiotic honor here that we're, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, there's, it's respectful. She sees that there's food here. There'll always be food here as long as she doesn't overstep her bounds as well. And we have kind of a relationship that's working so far. <laughs> And that's that's probably why they haven't over over um, harvested your your chickens is because they know it'll be there next time I come back. You know, you're right. right. So I have kind of the same thing going on with a snake, and I I don't often see the snake. It's uh, a copperhead. Oh no, it's there. I know, I know. It's like, oh, what am I gonna do? This copperhead, <laughs> you know. But it 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 kind of sticks to itself it knows it's not in danger you know i know it's there i respect it's there and i don't mess with it so i think you do have to be aware and as long as everybody's respectful it works mm-hmm. and, it, and it causes you to shift your understanding or your perspective on what's quote-unquote dangerous or you know what right. what is a, a bad animal or plant and what's you know a good one there, there is no such thing they just have their own attributes. Um, I encountered a huge poison hemlock plant the other day and just standing in the presence of that plant, you could just almost feel the the power radiating off of that plant because I knew that if I ate one leaf, it would kill me. Right. Um, But you know, you can't think of a plant like that as, as bad or evil because it just does what it does and it's very good at doing it. So recognizing that is important. Yeah. One of my favorite plants is the yew. Mm. And I just have so much respect for quite 
because like what you said, it's just so powerful and so deadly. You know, <laughs> I've heard stories that if a goat nibbles on a you, you'll see it dead right next to it with the unchewed leaves in its mouth. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's it's that's real or not, but you know, just to have that kind of story says, ooh, respect this plant, you know? <laughs> yes. <clears throat> But then the yew is, is uh, of course, the favorite wood in the UK for, for making bows and other things. So it's, you know, has its own uh, wonderful qualities, too. So For sure. For sure. That's I think that's important information to know, too. Like, for especially if you're going out camping. Like, you know, everybody loves to make s'mores. And you have to have that information. Like, you have to know, don't use yew sticks. Don't use... <laughs> right. That's true. Oleanders. Don't use, like, you know... Right. <laughs> that you're not grabbing i mean because i've read like i don't know if they're true or not and um but i have read stories where they're like oh some unknowing camper grabbed a stick and cooked their whatever on it and poisoned everybody in the camp or <laughs> yeah or you know if you're, right. you're going on a nature cruise and you got to use the bathroom and you pick the wrong leaves yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've you know i've had people wonder you know okay well in the case of like um poison hemlock it's in the same family and looks very similar to wild carrot, which, you know, wild carrot is edible and nutritious. Right. Poison hemlock will kill you. And I've heard people say, well, why would, you know, it's, it's weird that a plant that is nutritious would be related to a plant that will kill you. And I'm like, well, do you, you know, that uncle you have that you're related to, you know, we all have family members that, that may be toxic. And uh, so it's no different than anything else. <laughs> Or knowing what part of the plant is edible too. Like we have, right. you know, tomatoes and uh, uh, what is it? Tomatoes, eggplants, and potatoes. They're part of nightshade family. Nightshade, so sure. You can eat the fruit, but don't eat the leaves or the the stems. Like, right. It really gives you tummy issues, and <laughs> like, mm -hmm. but but knowing, you know, so there is. They have a balance too. They have a light and I almost say dark because I don't like saying that. But you know, they have a protective side and they have a side that they'll offer you, and. Everything in nature kind of does this, you know, when you're out there wildcrafting. Um, there's uh, protections. Like when you look at dandelion, you can eat the whole thing of a dandelion practically. Mm -hmm. Right. Everything. But there are cousins out there of the dandelion that look exactly like it who are not as friendly to our system. <laughs> right. True. And so being aware of what they look like and, and to tell the difference that you're just not eating. Cause I am the crazy person that is out there in my yard. I will start snacking on random leaves and whatever. I know what they are though. Like I, I, you know, I've, I've been there enough, but to imagine that somebody else out there that doesn't have the knowledge or the skill going out there and doing that kind of horrifies me a little bit. <laughs> that is, a, you know, anytime anyone asks advice about, about foraging and wildcrafting, I, that's the first thing I say is make sure you're 100% go, go learn with someone, uh, study under someone for quite a while first before you ever try to make a decision on your own because there are some pretty, pretty dangerous lookalikes to others that are very healthy, especially in the case of mushrooms. There are some very, oh, for sure, uh, very yeah. shockingly similar uh, species that, uh, that, you know, some are healthy and some aren't. Yeah. Or some are good for you. Yeah, my goal is always, um, like when I started out with wildcrafting and foraging, I picked, so I, in try, instead of trying to learn like 10 things at one time, I would pick one mm. that had no lookalikes, that had no, no way to confuse it with anything. And that, you know, find my comfort level, start with that one. And then once I got comfortable and could see that one every time, um, because we, we have a tendency to have a lot of wild um, fruits there. They look like the, the typical fruits we have, like the apples and the plums. We have like um, wild plums. 
Um, they're edible. They will keep you alive if you're in a situation that you need them. Um, they might not be your first choice because uh, digestively we just, you know, they're still, they're not bred like the ones that we're used to mm-hmm. eating. Um, but knowing those and knowing that they're out there and then slowly expanding onto, like, don't start with the most dangerous things. <laughs> I agree. And I'm the same way, especially with mushrooms. I, I focus on a few species that I know really well. Uh, because there are so many, and I think that's a, a that's a good approach. Develop those relationships with with a few species, um, that so that you can have no doubt about who they are when you encounter them. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Second that, third that. Yeah, <laughs> I get to know like what's right in my yard. Mm-hmm. You know, and what do I need? And then based on that, um, kind of get to really, really, really know those. Because really, I mean, it's like anything. You know, I I teach people coping skills and there's thousands of different coping skills, but you really only need one or two good ones from each area. So, you know, one or two to deal with people, one or two to deal with emotions, one or two, you know, like that. And that works for me because I think it's better to go deep and know something really well than know a little bit about a bunch of stuff. True. Because you're not going to use all that stuff. Mm -mm. And you know your body, you know your body's going to respond to certain things better than it would other things. I mean, it's different if you're trying to do this professionally and work with other people's bodies, but if it's just for you and your family, you know, just, I think, go deep, do a few, master those few and you're good. Mm-hmm. Plant medicine is the same way. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say plant medicine is the same way with, um, yeah, there's thousands of things, there's thousands of options, but we don't need them. You need to find the one that works for you and fits for you and, and speaks to you. Yeah. It's a good example of, you know, uh, what popped into my mind when you were, when you were saying that was uh, um, things like uh, oxalis, which is a, it's a, you know, wood sorrel uh, is high in oxalates, which some people just can't process and it's, it can be bad for, for kidney issues. So what can be totally fine for one person may not work at all for another. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so definitely listen to your body and know yourself too. <laughs> mm-hmm. For sure. It's that relational thing, you know? I like you. I don't like you. Plants are like people. Everybody has a different personality. Everything has, you know, a different flavor, a different. And, uh, you know, it's one of those, you can tell, like, I always think of cilantro. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You have, you know, my sister and I love it. We can, we can eat it by the handfuls. It's love just, it too. And then you have people that are just like, you know, it tastes like soap. It's just, yeah. mm-hmm. I get that. And it's, it's not that it's going to kill them and they're super allergic to anything like that. It's just not a fit for their body. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, and I think it's kind of like what we were saying earlier. When, when you have a plant that resonates with you and it wants to work with you, mm-hmm. then it, it's just, it, it's a joy and it's a mutual joy that goes back and forth and it just makes the medicine or the the energy just so much more vibrant i mean i think about my thistles and i'm just i I look at them and i they make me so happy (laughs) i really really like them and and i i know that that is not the feeling because they're prickly and they're hard to handle you know and they're invasive and people don't like thistles i do (laughs) they like me back A big purple, beautiful flower is a, yeah, I, I agree. I, I love this also. <laughs> yeah. I had that experience with, um, 
I usually grow a bed of lettuce, like an eight by four bed of lettuce every spring and every fall. And this year, my bed of lettuce was taken over by wild violets. So just like totally oh. over. Like I only got a couple of lettuce heads out of it. And I, I just went with that because that was my message, right? That's um, violets. They're edible. The sure. plant mm-hmm. edible just like salads. And um, even the flowers, the flowers are beautiful, they're edible, but also there's an emotional component to it. Like violets are great for heart medicine, for um, uh, emotional ease, which is, I think a lot of that I was going through, I think we all were, you know, this is the beginning of this year. Um, so as these things were popping up and I was like, you know what, nature is saying you need to take care of yourself. And that's what I, and so I did, that's, that was my salad for this, the spring season was awesome. violets, wild violets. That's great. Instead of pulling all those out and, and trying to force the lettuce to grow, I think that's, yeah. that's a perfect example yeah. of going with who wants to be there. Right. I've encountered a lot of heart-shaped leaves as well, like uh, wild ginger. Or it's it's yeah. not actually ginger, but it's uh, it's tastes like ginger. has a heart-shaped leaf. I've encountered so much of that in the last few weeks. Um, and I, it, it is interesting how there's, you know, it's almost a, uh, a signal that maybe yeah. this is something you need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do y'all feel about uh, using exotics, so mm. stuff from other countries? That's an area where I, I personally try to be very careful. Um, I, I don't I don't want to make any hard and fast rules for across the board for everyone else, but personally, I don't feel a release, especially when it's something that is deeply tied to a particular culture. If I don't belong to that culture, maybe maybe. It's okay for me to use a particular species, but if I don't feel a release and I and I don't uh, in many cases, um, then it's just something I, I stay away from. And you know, frankly, because it's not something I'm going to encounter um, in the wild where I live, and I don't have that ancestral connection. So, until I feel a release, or until I am invited into that relationship by someone who isn't a part of that culture, um, that's just not something that I really participate in. Well, I'm thinking more like uh, culinary, so Chinese mm. food, Indian food, Thai ah, food. Okay. I think uh, a lot. Of, well, a lot of the, there's so many similar spices and things that are used. You know, that's true across yeah. cultures. That a, a lot of those are almost universal. Um, well, you know, certain ones are, certainly aren't, but uh, I, there again, there are some ways that you can be invited into a relationship with that maybe through someone who has that ancestral connection. It's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't think that you, you know, if you have to ask permission to use curry on your own. Whatever. <laughs> I think, I think you, you can, I think it's, it's about, you know, finding that release within yourself and finding that, that relational aspect. Um, it depends on, it depends on the species, depends on the plant for me too. Yeah. I, I'm okay with it. I, um, and I'll tell you why. So last night we actually had chicken. I made chicken tikka masala and Indian food has tons of aromatics, tons of spices. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are very helpful. Like there's a reason they use them, right? A lot of them are digestive bitter type um, spices. Um, And so I I like having them around. I like using them. And one of my biggest ways of getting herbs and plant medicine into people is food. Mm. nutritional and herb you know using herbs in the kitchen are are a perfect way to introduce people to a healthier way of eating and i think because you well you know spice trade planes trains and automobiles and Mm -hmm. and mail service um we have access to all that and i think it also helps to um 
if you've left your ancestral lands, you can still continue to be able to cook those foods because even though you don't have them all growing, um, you could still get them in places. But also, um, those people move. Like, I, I, I've done it. Like, every time I've moved, I've brought plants with me of those varieties and I've shared them with my neighbors and I've shared them. So, who knows how far they've gone if they've right. continued to keep growing them. So, I, I think it's, um, a love, an act of love of being able to share those and um, to be able to use them and, ha and teach other people to use them as well. Uh, also for me, I'm working towards, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say, if I want to say it out loud. So I'm working towards a certification in, or a placement in a certain guild. And you have to have a working, uh, a working materia medica of 250 herbs. Mm. Realistically, we all <laughs> use 250 herbs consistently right you're right. maybe going to use 10 consistently right. in your entire lifetime right <laughs> um so uh but because of that um i took it as a challenge and culturally because my mom had asian medicine korean medicine we use different herbs um i took that as a challenge to see what other things are out there that, you know that are available that might provide a use that i wouldn't see in something else right so it's always trying to like mix and match energetics and um, the way the, the medicines, if you're making um, tinctures that are like complex tinctures, like mm -hmm. if you can find something that would match in between that's not readily available in my region or even in the U S you know, and, and I would look to Chinese herbs or um, even Ayurvedic herbs and try to mix and match. So I, I don't, I don't personally have a problem mixing plants and, and importing. <sighs> so, but there is that, cause I do like to grow all my plants too. So there is that factor of maybe it's an invasive species that might take over um, where I live. So there is right. that for sure. I think for me, the, 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 the line I draw is, is, is what I'm considering, you know, eating or consuming or using in any way. Is it endangered or is it, is it deeply connected in a particular cultural way that, that I'm not using it in that, or I'm not intending to use it in that manner? General spices, you know, I, I think I totally agree with what you're saying. Um, and, you know, I mentioned, talked about reishi earlier. Reishi has that deep connection to, to Asian medicine, um, but it also grows naturally or uh, it is native to this area too. So there's that, that cross-cultural connection there as well. Well, I also think we have to consider how the gut biome evolved. True. Because we're not all, we don't have the same digestive uh, microbes. Mm -hmm. So if you're introducing things that you're not really supposed to be eaten because you don't have the ability to digest it, it's not going to be great for you. Like I think, is it is it um, European people who tend to have the most celiac? I think it is. Mm -hmm. uh, or is it Asians? Asians? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, because Asians don't have, well, supposedly. Um, yeah, because we, the way our stomachs evolved, or the way we evolved, um, because we didn't have a lot of access to uh, wheat and gluten as we, you know, in our travels. Rice, like, sure. Rice, right? rice is our grain and a lot of greens, so wheat wasn't necessarily in the Asian diet. And because it's new, um, it tends to cause problems. Same thing with dairy. Like, dairy wasn't um, typically in an Asian diet. There's no cheese. There's no right. yogurts. And so... Some most uh, uh, Asians tend to either suffer celiac or uh, uh, dairy. What's the lactose issue? Lactose intolerance. Yeah. 
That's, that's a good point. Whereas my and some of my ancestors lived off nothing but oats and sheep's milk for <laughs> for <laughs> centuries, I think. So it is interesting how you know different cultural groups evolved to to process things differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think with those issues too, though, um, and I'm only speaking from personal experience for myself, so I, I'm not, I don't want to broad spectrum everybody, um, because I do remember having lactose issues as a kid, and if I have lactose issues now as an adult, because with herbalism you treat, well, for most people you treat um, it's uh, biological uh, mm-hmm. environment theory, right? Like, by, mm-hmm. uh, so if your body is healthy, it can actually take care of all those things. So if I don't have lactose issues, I know my body's in a, in a, a good space. Like it's in a healthy right. If I start to suffer lactose issues, um, not that I'm eating, I, I don't drink milk. It's, I don't, I don't like it, but it's just, um, but if I eat cheese or something like that, like if I have issues, um, then I know something's up with my body. Like maybe I'm not 100%. Hmm. Um, so I, I think there are workarounds for some of these sometimes. Um, celiac, I, I, I'm not going to, speak on because I don't have that issue uh, so I don't have any experience with it but I know with lactose I if I'm not good I have issues and if my body's in it, working properly I don't have issues with it that's a that's a good signal again to listen to your body and what is your body saying what is what do you need so that's that's a good yeah. example yeah well thanks you guys for joining me um sending Thank gratitude you. to the elements and our loving helping ancestors too for being here um, again, please consider donating as we do need your financial and emotional support. If you have comments, you can post them on the podcast, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and, um, thanks for tuning in. This is Laura Giles for Pan Society. See y'all next week.